Many of you know, maybe some of you don't, we're on a little break right now, uh, just a short break. Last summer we took a break, but we took like a whole summer break. So that kind of broke the rhythm. I had a couple people rebuke me publicly for that break. It wasn't my idea, I was just kind of going along with it. But this summer we're saying we don't want to take the long break because we know it hurts our rhythm. So we have been in the break, but it's just a five week break. So just enough time to stretch and if you didn't like somebody, just to pray about it and we're gonna come back. So Cypher Groups is, that's our small group ministry where we gather together. And usually what we do is we'll go over uh, the text that we went through in the sermon that week. But uh, for the summertime, what we're going to do, we want to switch it up a little bit. So we're going to do like a Cypher Book Club. Yeah, you're supposed to be excited about that. We're going to do like a Cypher Book Club. So what we'll do is each, we had like a list of 10 books that we'll choose from. And we're coming back from our break, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, July 14th. So on July 14th, we'll be doing that. So what we need you to do is we need you to, in the back, we have sign-up sheets if you want to be, if you want a book. If you don't have a book, it's kind of hard to go through a book with people. So if you want a book, we're doing that. And if you can, and what we're going to do is we're going to get the books and then we're going to ask you to pay for them. If you can't afford the book, let us know. We'll try to work something out, but we'll do that. So we'll come back July 14th. We'll get to discuss these books together. We're going to do six weeks of this little book club and this book study. And I hope it's really a way for psych groups to feel fresh. So there's some of us who haven't really been to cypher groups yet or not really sure about it or we're going and kind of fell off. I think this will be an excellent, excellent time for you to jump back on and begin to experience for the first time one of the ways we do community at Epiph. So sign-up sheets in the back. We do it regionally, so just go to the region that's closest to yours. Write it down. If you don't sign up today, this is your very last chance to get a book because we're beginning next Wednesday. So make sure you sign up back there and just somebody you know that needs it, sign up. Just know somebody got to pay for that. Thank you. Lord, thank you for the greatness of your love. Um, thank you that your love is just as massive as your nature is. You say from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And since from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, so is all of your perfections from everlasting to everlasting, nowhere ending, up, down, left, right, diagonal. You, 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 the beauty of your character pervades every direction. And since love is one of the aspects of your attributes, Lord God, uh, um, um, we want to bless you and honor you for your love towards us, Lord God. Um, we didn't deserve it. There was nothing about us that was memorable or likable. However, Lord God, because of the greatness of your grace, because of the magnificence of who you are, you show forth the beauty of who you are by loving the unlovable and deciding to place your affections on us. And so God, when we sing this song, we don't sing this haphazardly like we don't recognize that it took a lot to love us. Um, I, I don't know about anyone else here, Lord, but I know that it took a lot to love me. And so God, as we talk about uh, this idea today through song, now we want to talk about this idea through the scriptures, the preaching of your word and teaching of your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord God, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, what's up, y'all? I missed y'all, man. I was gone for four weeks. The elders were nice enough to let me out for a couple of weeks. So I, I got out for a few weeks. It's been, I've been in Philly five years and got a chance to take a four-week vacation. First week, I was going crazy because um, I'm not used to not being busy. So um, I had to shut down. Um, so my wife and I, we're real excited um, about 
being back. Um, we had family reunion this weekend, her side of the family. And you know, black family reunions, how, they, how we do. You know, they make everybody wear the family T-shirt. You know, at the cookout, amen. So we all at the cookout, and you know they playing all kind of music. But you know, there are three songs that's going to be in heavy rotation. Y'all know what those three songs are. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Electric Slide and them other two joints, you know what I'm saying? And grandmama get their cane and come on over, and they going like this, you know what I'm saying? And going like this. I'm like, oh, Lord, look at grandma getting her dance on. So, um, so it was a nice little time up in Fairmont Park. And so they, they doing their thing this weekend. People up from North Carolina, Jersey, all over the place. And so they having a good time. And little man got a fever, keep him lifted. Also, um, during our break, we got to work on something that's, that's been a, a, a desire for ours for really the last five years. And that's my wife and I really moving around the corner from here. So we on a contract on a house right around the corner from here. So yeah. keep us lifted. Um, and, 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 the, and the goal of it is for missional engagement of this community. Because um, we would like to see um, our people here at Epiphany Fellowship and those who become a part, those who God would allow to, to incarnate, uh, to see transmissional transformation of this community from the inside out. So I'm really excited about that. So keep that lifted. I close on my house in a few weeks. Scary because we got to close on the other one sometime after that. So be lifting us up about transitional time. Um, I'm excited right now because we get to start a new series, a new book series. Um, we're starting the book of Ephesians today. We're starting the book of Ephesians today. I've been, I've been, I've, I ain't been hungry. I've been hungry about getting up in this joint here. I mean, Ephesians is one of the, one, one, one preacher said that, that, that Ephesians is the constitution of Christianity. Um, it, it, it is one of those books that when you read it, it is captivating. It is it is, it is, it, it grabs your attention and it, it, it makes your mind transform about a multiplicity of things. So we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, but our, our deal is going to be, we're going to talk about uh, the, the real main idea of this book. And, and the real main idea of this book is, is very powerful. Who am I? Say, who am I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's always been said that if you don't know who you are and whose you are, then you won't know your purpose and abuse will be inevitable. Because when you don't know how to use something that's been given to you, and you don't know what its use is for, family, then you're going to abuse it because you're going to fumble with it. So Ephesians acts as a, 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 an abridged manual of the Christian life of sorts. Paul writes uh, to the Christians in Asia Minor, um, mainly the church at Ephesus, one of the most booming churches, one of the most fully discipled churches in leadership, in their ecclesiology, in their missiology, in their doctrine. In, in, in many, many ways, um, Ephesians is one of the most advanced churches in the New Testament, and it's by far the most frequently written to book in the New Testament because you have Ephesians, but really, First and Second Timothy is another book to the Ephesians by way of Timothy, Paul's young boy, and then you go to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and you see them being written to again. And so Ephesians is one of those books where scholars are trying to, didn't, don't really, it's interesting. When you go to Romans, when you go to 1 Corinthians, when you go um, to Philemon, when you go to Titus, when you go to 1 Timothy, when you go to any book of the Pauline letter, literature, most of those books are um, written because of some type of issue that Paul needs to apologetically defend against. 
But it's interesting. Everyone agrees, and I agree with them because of homework. Is it, 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 so I don't just jump and agree with scholars just because they say they're scholars. You've got to do your homework. Amen, somebody. Study to show yourself approved. And so, and so after getting in it, it really, wasn't, it really wasn't any issue in particular, listen, that was going on in Ephesus. This is a just because book. Say just because. Yeah, this is a just because book. I mean, they had their issues now. They weren't perfect, you know what I'm saying? You know, they, they had their issues of foulality, you know what I'm saying? That's a new word. I know I made it up. Put it in your thing and let's add it to the dictionary. Foulality. Okay, and so and so and so he basically begins writing to them about two major issues. Really, he wants to he wants to solidify and, and emulsify Christianity in the souls of the Ephesian church. Now, the Ephesian church began with mad beef in Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul went to a bunch of beef with people while he was up in Ephesus, had the dip roll back, and him and his him and his team stuck up in Ephesus for about one or uh, two years to three years hanging out, pouring out his soul, pouring out his life, rocking them, teaching them everything that the Lord uh, had for them. And what was crazy before he dipped, he was in another city in Acts chapter 20, and he said, I want the, um, the, uh, the Ephesian elders to come take a field trip. Come on out here to where I am, and we got to chop for a little while. So Paul, under candlelight, began spilling into the lives of uh, these elders pouring in them to saying, fight the good fight. And he begins telling them, listen, after I dip, I'm telling you, cats are going to wild out. He said, people are going to lose their ever-loving mind. And he said, there are going to be some dudes that come in among the flock, and they're not going to spare the flock. But you, you stand firm. You defend the faith. Remember, day and night in tears, admonishing you with tears about the entire council of God. And I didn't hold back anything. The Bible says he commended them to the Lord's grace, the Ephesians, uh, and they prayed loud weeping because of the depth of love and connectivity between them. Paul went his way in the Ephesians. He said, I'll never see your grill again. He dipped and walked off. The Ephesian elders walked off. But the first letter that he gives to them is this letter. And so two major issues that he walks them through, um, um, which, which, I, which I see is so, so important for the church today. Two major issues. It's a super theme, and there's an underlying theme of Ephesians. The major theme of Ephesians is the identity of the Christian. Very, very important issue, because everybody got identity issues. We're going to talk about that in a second. But it's beautiful how he begins where your identity is and roots it. We'll get there in a second. And so, and so then the underlying theme up under the super theme is the unity of the Christian church. In other words, there's a desire in Paul's mind that the church fights with one another versus against one another. And so what Paul wants them to do is he's saying, listen, y'all on the same squad. Y'all are not enemies. There's another enemy you should fight. That's why he caps off the book talking about spiritual warfare and missionality. In other words, engaging people with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the church. So he begins in the first part of this, which he's talking about identity issues, and it kind of reminds me, I'm, a, I'm like a pop culture geek. And so, you know, you got, you know, you got Nicki Minaj out now, you know. Um, you know, her and Lil' Kim fighting, you know. Lil' Kim mad at Nicki Minaj because she wears wigs that she used to wear, and she's not acknowledging that she got it from her. 
So I'm, I'm a little confused about it. But, 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 but basically, they're going back and forth about that and arguing about And Nikki kind of giving, giving, giving her the hand. But what, what was interesting is one of the things about being in pop culture that's very important, especially for an artist, is the artist has to have uh, a particular persona in order to capture an audience. They have, to, they have to live in a particular persona. They have to put forth a certain idea and identity. And, 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 and many times, admittedly by them, they can get lost in them. Because one of the things that happen is, is when you try to create your own identity, you're going to end up confused because it has no origin beyond you. See, when your identity originates with you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be confused because you, you're not a creator. In the sense of ex nihilo, out of nothing. You can create what, which, with what has already been created, but it has to be submitted to the Redeemer. So he starts off in this book, booming. I mean, it's like, blam, he starts off. Verses 1 through 6, giving the beauty of where our identities came from. Craziness, right? Verse 1. It says, Paul, he says, Paul. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, say in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for the adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I, I, I'm, I'm loving this. I'm loving this idea. So, so, so when we talk about who we are and the identity of the Christian, one of the things that we see that Paul begins with in this passage, which is our first point, our identity originated with God the Father. Our identity, the Christian that is, our identity originated with God the Father. Now, now I, I don't like to go over Paul's salutations or his introductions. He has a few things in here before we get into verse 3 that, that I'd like to spend just a, a few couple of minutes touching on. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ. Say, in Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 like, I like this because what he's talking about here is Christological consistency. Yeah, he, he's, talking about, he's talking about Christological consistency. Of course, faithfulness means consistency, but then he's going to use a spherical idea here. In other words, in, in Christ, those who are in Christ. Now, there, there's many ways, I mean, this is one of the most popular terms that Paul uses in the New Testament to discuss where God does stuff. Like where God does his main acts of redemption to show off how smoking he is to the world, he does it in Christ and he does it through the people who are in Christ. Now, if I could just do, a, I can do a, a doggone series, listen, just on the term in Christ. 
I, I was scared to get into it today because I know it's hot and y'all going to fall asleep. So I said, let me just talk about a little bit of it until we get some AC. Then we'll go back and talk about it. Amen. So that means you got to get some money to the account. Amen. Because it's kind of low for the AC. Amen. It's flaming in here. Go ahead and bless God. Be a good steward. Plat out. Put it in so we can get some AC duck all through, smoke through. Then we'll get in the in Christ. But you ain't getting the in Christ stuff till you get some money to that doggone thing. All right. Here we go. Now, in Christ. Okay. So, 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 listen. It's, it's you, it appears in, in Ephesians 13 times, right? 13 times. This idea. Now, there are multiple variations of this. Now, he never uses in Jesus Christ. He always used in him, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, or in the Lord. Now, all of those have synonymous connotations with the same idea. It's just saying it a different way, emphasizing a different aspect of who Christ is. Y'all with me? So when, so when it says in Christ, it's emphasizing his act as Messiah through his redemptive work as Savior, as dying on the cross and redeeming this group of people who, based on position, not practice yet, are faithful. Wow. This faithfulness is not based on your faithfulness. Because all of us are faithless. Tell the truth for shame, every type of devil. Every last one of us are unfaithful. However, what's beautiful about God is God calls you what you're not because of Christ. That because in Christ you are, without Christ you're not. So therefore, he gives you credit in Christ for what you're not, even though you, not his goal, we're going to talk about it in a minute, his goal ain't for you to like, I'm in Christ, so I can wild out. No. That's wilding out, just thinking that, right? And so in varying ways, then, the expression in Christ conveys Paul's belief that God's saving purposes are decisively effective, listen, through Christ. God's, God's act of saving purposes are effective through Christ and Christ alone. Now, now, he's doing this because he wants us to be properly rooted in this idea of Christ being the way that God does so. So, when it talks about in Christ at this point, in this, in this part of the context, it points to the fact that Jesus is God, the Father's sphere of redemptive operation, and God is only doing things through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it was also important to Paul, listen, to define how believers were to live under Christ's saving lordship. That's very important. Even though he's talking positionally about every Christian, he's also describing inherently, kind of like a double entendre, to say this is what the expectation is of you. Now he's going to lay this out in a few minutes beautiful in how the Father alley-oops us in Christ to be able to work this out practically by Christ. Now, in statements of which call or describe or commend in Christ or in the Lord communicate simultaneously, listen, the gift of salvation and the accompanying demand that God divinely places upon us as a mandate based on him saving us. Did y'all get that? When, 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 in other words, whatever you are positionally in Christ, God is going to expect to practically get worked out in your life. Let me see if I can make it plain. When I was growing up, right, my, I tell my son all the time, my son, my son, my, my oldest eight. I said, son, by the time I was nine, I was ironing my own clothes and washing dishes. I said, now, you know, because I was the youngest child, I expected, you know, the big homies in the house was going to take care of all the love. But my parents said, you are already a part of this family. Now you got to act like you in this family. 
Somebody ought to hear me. See, when you become a Christian, you're in the family, but you, it's not enough just to be in the family. You got to act like you're in the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was at my Baptist spot, I'd squall on that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to act like it. Woo! Bless God. All right. Then it goes in and does, does, does kind of like a smooth transition. I love this. I love this. Right here. Because in talking about our origins, it goes back to the greatest origin of all, the big boss of the Godhead. The big boss of the Godhead, who is the shot caller, the big baller, is big God the Father. And it says, blessed, listen, 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 verse 3, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a lot right there. But we have a lot more text to get through. But that's a lot. Now, what's interesting is that Paul, when, before he talks about what Christians should do, he talks about who Christians are. Now, in chapter 1 through 3, which I kind of disagree with this now because I do believe that 4 through 6 has theology. Some people say the first is orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Well, the spiritual warfare section is definitely theology and orthopraxy as a hybrid mixed together to show you both doctrine and duty. However, right here, what's so beautiful, y'all got to stay with me on this. This stuff is beautiful. He, when, when he talks about this, he starts with the Godhead. Say the Godhead. See, the doctrine of the Trinity is very important. So don't, 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 don't get lost right now because I'm like, oh, he's talking all that doctrine stuff and theology. Just give me the, what I need to do. Where well, you can't do anything unless you know the one who empowers you to do it. So sit tight, get some theology, and then get the practice that comes flowing out of the theology. So it starts with this. So he says, blessed be the God and Father. Now, now, this can be an operative idea or an indicative. Now, what's interesting is I take it as an operative, meaning, meaning that it's his nature. It's not just he's worthy of being blessed here. That's not what it's saying. He is worthy of being blessed, but the, but the, but the text is literally saying that God is inherently blessed without being blessed by anybody else. That, that's, that's what it's saying. It's, it's saying, this dude is so fly. That when you, you can say, bless, bless you, God. He was blessed before you already said bless. Before, you, before the organ started, before the drum started, before the singers got up, he was already blessed. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, before you tried to walk with him, before you tried to say thank you to him, he was already blessed. But, but, but before the rototon start, before the cymbal start, before the filler start, before the DJ start, before the MC start, and before the singer start, listen, God is inherently blessed. So he, nothing we do adds to his esteem. Because God is not in an identity crisis. He's very comfortable in who he is. So he's already blessed by nature because he blesses himself. Matter of fact, the Godhead, we'll talk about later, pounds themselves up. But right here it says, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about the Trinity, which we're going to spend a little bit of time on, and I may cut it short, because so, it's hot, I know it's hot, so we may cut it short and I'll finish this maybe next week. I may just stop right on this section, just give us 30 minutes. Is that all right? Some of y'all said no, okay. We're going to do that, okay? I'm going to try to do that. I can do it, Pastor Nair. Stop looking at me like that. The Father, the importance of the Trinity is that it's one God. Say it's one God. Three persons, united in essence, forever. Three distinct persons. Now, 
God the Father is the preeminent one in the Trinity. That means that he has first in rank. They are a, they are a group of individual persons, distinct persons, united in essence. However, they are kind of like an eternal elders council. They have different roles. It's like being on a basketball team. If all of us, if, all, if everybody playing power forward, who's going to run the point? Therefore, the, in the Godhead, every person in the Godhead, you need a center, you need power forward, strong forward, you need a point guard, and you need a guard. You need five roles on the team. Well, we ain't got five persons. We got three persons, and all three of them got roles, and it starts with the big boss talking about his role. Now, the fatherhood of God, although the thrust of the text is really about the identity of the believer, rooted in the role of the Godhead in redemption. That's the, that's the point of the passage. It's rooted, in, it's rooted in the role of the Godhead in the redemption of the Christian, pointing to where our identity comes from. However, I can't move past God being Father. I'll tell you why in a section, because the, of what the text says. So, 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 so Paul, in, in Pauline literature, there are about 40 references to God as Father in Paul's letters, and more references to God as Father in Ephesians um, and, and it, than in any other letters. It's mentioned eight times in this letters. It's mentioned in, this, in Ephesians it's in 1, 2, 1, 3, uh, um, 1, 17, 2, 18, 3, 14 through 15, 4, 6, 5, 20, and 6, 23. <clears throat> One of the most important things that a Christian must understand is you must understand your God. And so when we talk about God the Father, I like the way Bruce Ware puts this in his book on the Trinity. He says, the Father then is fully God. He is not one-third God, but fully God. Yet it is not the Father alone who is fully God, but he eternally exists along with the Son and the Spirit, each of whom also possess fully the identically same divine nature. Are you with me? So he says, what distinguishes the Father from the Son in not the divine nature of the Father, but what distinguishes the Father is his particular relationships that, uh, that, that he has with each of them. So the Godhead is not egalitarian, it's complementarian. In other words, egalitarianism believes everything's the same and there's no difference. However, because that would mean God is not really that creative because he made all creation the same. However, that doesn't, same doesn't mean less than value. So what, 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 what's different in the Godhead and what's beautiful about them is they're complementarian, meaning they complement each other in distinctive roles with having equality of essence and value because the spirit isn't worth less than the father, the son isn't worth less than the spirit, and the father is not worth more than all of them. All of them are of equal worth but of different roles. That's the key in understanding the triune Godhead. So since the Father is supreme in the Godhead, I like this, meaning highest in rank and authority, this supremacy is seen, of course, in Psalm 2. So what makes, uh, uh, what makes understanding God in his persons important, specifically, know God as Father being as primal importance, without the Father, listen to this, without, this is something I jotted down, Without the fatherhood of God, we would have no identity. Nor 
will our identity have an image? Because in Colossians 1, the Bible says that in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell. Now, the Bible says in Romans chapter 129 that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Therefore, if the Father doesn't have an identity, then that means Christ isn't, the, the Godhead doesn't dwell in him, and therefore we're wasting our time working through Christ to be conformed to the image of Christ because there is no image that exists. However, it's true that there is an image exists because the Father is the primal image that shows off the entirety of the beauty of their attributes. The Son became flesh to show forth those attributes through both life, through both lips, through both character and practice. And then he got on a cross, died, raised from the dead to consecrate what was decreed in eternity past to save a community of people who go from justification, sanctification, glorification, all with the goal, listen, to look like Jesus who looks like God the Father. <laughs> so if, if there is no image... So our identity is deeply, it's not wrapped up in your purpose. Your purpose isn't your identity. I wish somebody would hear me right now. What you do for God is not your identity. Your, what you do for God flows out of your identity in connection with God through Christ. That is very important because many of us got identity issues. You might as well raise your hand. You got identity issues. And, and listen, listen, if you got daddy issues today, I'm going to just stop right here. If you got daddy issues today, I was just doing a study on artists, people who are motivated by, because of their daddy issues. I was studying Jay-Z. He said something interesting. Let me get the daddies. He said, he said to me, talking about his dad, when his, when his father left when he was 12, he said to me, that was basically the end of our relationship. And so Jay-Z told Bob, he said, that was when the hurt and then the healing began for me from that day right there. Then Nicki Minaj says, when you have a father who is stealing your furniture and selling it so that he can buy crack, you suffer. He says, you come home from school and your couch is gone. You're like, what happened, right? Now, I, was, I like them little things called behind the music. I like that stuff. Because I like to see what people would shape them, right? And I was looking at one artist in particular. I was looking at DMX. And DMX is dealing with crack issues. It's, it's all over the news. So we're not dogging him. We want to pray for him. But what's interesting is as he talked in the interview, one of the biggest issues that he was trying to do was prove to his dad through what he was doing that he was valuable. Same thing in another interview. Eve from Philly said the same thing. She, everything that she was doing up until 30 years old was to prove, Daddy, you left me, but I'm worth something because of what I do. Now accept me. But what's so powerful about being in Christ is he can you can come to him with your daddy issues. See, it's a bunch of y'all in here got daddy issues. And everything in your life is to prove you're worth something because your relationship with your dad made you feel like you weren't anything. And so what God does is instead of waiting for you to show him something, he takes the first step by showing you something. And he demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So listen, God did not wait for us 
to show him that we're savable, he looked at us, saw we wasn't savable, placed his affections on us, saved us, and gave us our identity versus us trying to make an identity to hand to him. So, 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 so many of us are such people pleasers. This is why doctrine is important right here, right now. Doctrine and theology is important because it should change you. It should change you. It should change the way you think. It's not just a point to argue on. It's something to give you worth. It's something to give you value. But it's not for your own personal purposes, but it's for the glory of the one who bought you. So, so many of us need to stop trying to prove stuff to people. We always say, if I just do this, they'll like me. If I do this more, if I buy this, if I have this, if I, if I, no, 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 God, calm down, settle down. God has already decided that he likes you. If you're in Christ, he already decided that he likes, not because you were likable, but because of Christ and Christ alone. And so stop eating yourself into a frenzy. Many of us, our issue is eat. Because, uh, 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 whatever your major identity issue is, this because when you try to create an identity on your own outside of the one decreed by God the Father, you're always going to be in trouble. And so it says, blessed be the one who is inherently, he already has identity. Nobody gives him identity. When you call him majestic, he doesn't become more majestic. When you call him holy, he doesn't become more holy. When you call him just, when you call him great. Listen, God is everything he's ever going to be. However, in relationship to him in Christ, because of Christ saving us, we're everything we're going to be positionally. And so that should change somebody today. That's a change the way you think about everything. Because our identity and our purposes and our passions are wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then finally, on this part, if I get into election, I'm, I'm trying to give y'all a break so next week we can get into that. But I'm, I'm itching bad. I'm itching. Okay. Woo! Help me, God. All right. Be part of verse 3. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavy places? That's key. That's key. Now, it talks about what type of blessings God has blessed us with, and it talks about the locations of the blessings. Now, every, most people that talk about blessings talk about physical blessings. Because our identity is usually based on physical things. However... In this text, the spiritual blessings that God given this passage is enough to bless us in the unseen and the seen. Now, these spiritual blessings don't promise you're going to live in a mansion. These spiritual blessings don't promise you're going to get a jag and you're going to be a big baller. It doesn't promise you're going to have a big bank account. It doesn't promise you're going to start a business. It's, it's, it's identity-based spiritual blessings that impact and pervade everything about us as Christians. Now, he's going to lay out in the rest of the passage the nature and purpose and principle of those spiritual blessings. Now, he says the spiritual blessings are not located on planet Earth in the sense of the physical realm or the world, um, the, the world system. It's, it's not talking about just in heaven as in the place. It's talking about outside of the sphere of human natural defect. 
It goes back to 1 Peter chapter 1 when it talks about um, our inheritance being imperishable. In other words, moth, like Jesus says in um, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, it says, Listen, do not store for yourselves treasures where cats can steal it, come in and rob you, and where moths can eat you. But build up for yourself treasures that are imperishable. However, these are unbuilt up treasures by humans. These are treasures that were built by the death of Christ and his resurrection. Okay? So what's beautiful now is these blessings exist in the heavenly places. I'm sorry. I got to tell you the first blessing. I'm sorry. I, I just can't take it no more. Okay. Be quiet, Pastor Nyron. I don't want to hear nothing. All right. Next point. <laughs> the foundation of our identity. This is the foundation of it. Powerful. This is crazy. Now, most people, when they argue this doctrine, they argue it for prideful reasons. But when you look at this text, when you look at this Bible, it's so much bigger than what you think it is. It says in verse 4, this is what he's blessed us with, even as. Even as here is introducing the manner in which God blesses believers. The spiritual blessings will be listed from here to like verse 14. So the next few weeks, we're going to talk about spiritual blessings all the way up to verse 14. Paul creates a Trinitarian run-on sentence here to explain to us the nature of the spiritual blessings that God the Father orchestrates for Christians. So everything that happens in these verses is orchestrated by God the Father, right? This will list our role, uh, this, this will list out the role of God the Father as leader and boss of the Trinity. So it says right here, even as he chose us, say he chose us. This word is the Greek word that is elektar. Elektar is being used here. Now this word is in an interesting, uh, 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 interesting tense and mood and voice. It's in an aorist middle indicative. Now, the aorist, now, now the Greek has multiple past tense. I've told you this before. One of those past tense is called an aorist. There's a first aorist and there's a second aorist. Now, the aorist here is interesting. It's beautiful. Because the aorist basically talks about something that happened in the past, right? But Dan Wallace did a great job in his grammar helping us to understand this. An aorist doesn't mean merely that something is a done deal and finished in all passages. Really, it means a snapshot of a particular point in time when something was completed and the whole of it was done when that picture was taken. So if we could have taken a picture of the Godhead in eternity past, the work of his electing work was done before humans were created. It's beautiful. That's when Greek helps. Now, it's in the middle. What's interesting is, is the middle is reflexive. Stay with me because I'm not just spouting out terms just to spout them out. It's important. When, when, it, it can mean he chose us. It can be literally translated, he chose us for himself. <laughs> I, I like that. In, in, in other words, he chose us in the past for himself. Listen, listen. He didn't choose us because he just wanted us. He chose us for himself. In other words, he was motivated by himself, therefore he chose. God is the best. Listen, God doesn't need a pep rally. His nature is a pep rally. His nature is a pep. Tweet that. God's nature is a pep rally. Listen, listen. You want to tweet something, tweet that, big baby. Listen, so, so his nature is a, So God pumps himself up about God. 
We're going to hear that for the rest of the day. He looks at himself and he loves himself so much. And he's not being vain because it's actually true. So he looks at himself. He enjoys himself. He, he's like, Dad! He's looking at himself and, 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 and he enjoys his grace. He enjoys his wrath. He said, Dad, my wrath is a beast. He looked at his holiness. He said, man, I'm holy. Can't, I mean, look how clean I am. I mean, I can't even take this to the detail shop and get it done like this. I mean, I'm cleaned in the mud. Because he's so smoking, because he's so clean, beautiful, gorgeous, and undetailable, because he already is inherently detailed by his own perfections, therefore, God saves. <laughs> he saves and responds to himself. Now, this is what's so powerful about God, and I promise I'm going to end here. We'll talk about the rest of the lecture next week. Now, I want to end here. This is so powerful about God. God is the only one that he can, listen, this, this, this is so fly. He, he can bless himself, and in blessing himself, he blesses others. Think, think you're going to get that on the way home. Listen, even when God is blessing himself, he blesses others. Because he elected us for himself, but in electing us for himself, he's blessing us as a byproduct of glorifying his own name. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, that's crazy to me. And so look what type of identity our God has. It's so much. We'll get to be imitators of God in verse 1 of chapter 5 later on. But I want you to salah that. I, I, I want you to salah that, that your identity is not rooted in anything on this planet except for the living God. It, it's not rooted in anything else. And, and the God of heaven knew we had no identity. We're going to talk about what our identity was like in about five weeks when we get uh, to, if we can get there in five weeks, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But I want you to soak, I want you to soak in the fact that God, there was nothing about us, but that God decided in his own. And, and the doctrine of election shouldn't be a bunch of Calvinistic arguments all over the place and going through paperbacks arguing. It should invoke worship. It should invoke praise. It should invoke tag. Man, I don't need to wild out because my identity is rooted in the one who chose me. So we believe in election at this church, not because we want to be part of some reform clique, but because it's in the Bible. Somebody ought to hear me. So being reformed has nothing to do with wanting to be in some crew of people that just argue all the time. And most hyper-reformed guys add to the Bible what's not in it. Wherever the Bible's silent, they try to speak. Whenever the Bible stops talking, shut up. Don't try to create a theology based on what the Bible is. It hasn't explicitly stated. So when the Bible stops talking, guess what you should do? Shut it down, big baby. And instead of arguing about it, lift your hands to the God who gave you an identity and saved you and elected you according to the beauty of his purpose. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. I'm going to pray. We're going to get ready to have an offering. But if you're here today, if you're here today and you're not in Christ, you're not in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've been trying to find identity anyplace else, there's only one way to find identity. You can't go in anybody else's entourage. It's not going to happen through any type of job. Listen, your identity is only found, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you know God and his only son who he sent. So your identity is in the one who God sent, Jesus, if you trust him. The fact that he died on the cross for your sins and took on how raggedy you are. He took on your old identity. 
Jesus became your old identity with all of his sins, with all of his issues, with all of his past, with all of his hurts, with all of his pains. And he says, repent, metanoia, turn towards me, change your mind about your identity and embrace my identity as found in my son. When you trust in Christ, by grace alone, that means it had nothing to do with you. Through faith alone, meaning you're, 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 you are not depending on anything or anyone or any place except for the one that God sent and by Christ alone. That's the one you trust. If that's you, you want to trust Christ to save it. We got some cards on the back table. We want you to fill them out. Our connections team is going to connect with you. And we want to talk to you about what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. 